Hello and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. your Bibles, you can turn to Nehemiah 9. I'm going to take a, a moment to just get ready, and then we're going to share from there. I do have a slide, but I would prefer if you would follow in your Bible. So if you've got your Bibles or your devices, or if you just got Google, just search Nehemiah chapter 6, and we're going to be reading from verse 1 to verse 9. Thank you. You can put my, um, my title up. I'm going to be speaking on enemy tactics. Enemy tactics. It's not something that we normally like to focus on here at Harvest. I mean, we love to speak about what Jesus has done, what he's doing, how the Holy Spirit's moving in and through our lives to have influence and impact, and you'll hear that regularly. But every now and again, we need to come back to what the Word says and to be aware that there's an enemy. Because if you look throughout the Scriptures, you'll see that the enemy is applying different tactics, but the Lord is always triumphing. The enemy is always attempting to stall and to thwart and to stop what God is doing, but the Lord's kingdom is always advancing. And so we, we love to focus on what it means to be at the forefront of a kingdom that's advancing. But part of that is to be aware of what the enemy is up to. That's why you can read in Genesis, and it starts off with the serpent coming to Eve, and you can go all the way through to Revelation, and you'll see that speaks about the dragon and the beast and all these things. And it just reveals that in the midst of this beautiful story, this redemptive story, the story of reconciliation and God's grace and favor, in the midst of that unfolding, we do have an enemy. And uh, so today I want to speak on that just briefly, because last week I spoke about faithfulness. And um, there's a reason why we need faith. And this isn't to put any fear into us, but this is to fortify us, to give us fortitude for that which we call to. So I trust that this encourages you. And uh, as we read this, I want to pull out, we're just going to read, as I say, from uh, chapter 6, verse 1 to 9. And I want to pull out seven principles that we can see of how the enemy uh, applies these tactics to bring us into fear that would cause us to stop and pull back from what God wants for us. I, I was preparing last night and I came across a, a far side slide. Thank you, you can show that. Um, and it's got a shark shouting to some people on the beach, bear, bear, and they're running into the water. And that's how the enemy operates. Through fear, he wants to draw us to, to a place where we'll be ineffective. I could say a lot more from that picture, but let's just say ineffective. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read from verse 1. Thank you. When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, so straight away we know that these are enemies, this is Nehemiah speaking, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message, come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono, but they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messages to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, 
It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king. Verse 7, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. Verse 8, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You are just making it up in your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. You see, there's something about being caught up in a, in a good work, a great work, a kingdom work, a work of building. And I know that many of us coming out of this moment are on a rebuilding moment of business, of family, of community, marriage, whatever it might be. We're rebuilding because we've come through a trying time and a sifting time. And there's the sense of knowing even in that, that there are tactics of the enemy. The scripture refers to it as devices. But you know, it's almost like he's got this playbook, this, this game plan. Can you imagine if the British Lions coming out to play us, that two days before the game starts, suddenly in Rassi Erasmus's hands, he gets the full playbook and game plan of the British Lions. Lord, let it be true. But he, we would know every play that they wanted to run. We would know every tactic and scheme. And that's kind of what's getting revealed to us here. Because what we see is that the enemy doesn't have too many different tactics. It's the same one that he applies over and over and over again. And I call it tactics, but Paul called it devices. In 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11, he says, lest Satan should take advantage of us. We are not ignorant to his devices. We don't wanna be taken advantage of. We don't wanna be ignorant of his devices. And this word devices is the, uh, the Hebrew word uh, noema, sorry, the Greek word noema. And I try to pronounce it right. I'm getting it wrong. I know this because I was saying it out trying to practice it. And Siri popped up and said to me, it translated noema as naughty mama. <laughs> it was either Siri or word from the Lord. <laughs> My mom's not here this morning. She might be watching online. This is what it means. It's terrible, I take that all back because I'm gonna say what it means now, it's shocking. It, noema, it means this, the evil purpose in the mind or thoughts. That's what the devices are when it speaks about the enemy. And we know Ephesians 6 verse 11 says, speaks about the armor of God through that chapter and it says, put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. You see, there's a reason that we have armor, and there's a reason why we mustn't be ignorant. It's so that we can take a stand. It's not saying be in fear, it's saying be fortified because I want you to be victorious because I'm leading you in triumph. We see that through every story of men and women of God throughout the word. And so he's got these same devices that he brings over and over and over. Before I look at the seven um, ways that he comes, tactics, devices, schemes. I wanna ask you this question, because it's pertinent. What are you trying to build? In this season, in this moment, when you look at your life, when you look at your family, when you outworking your call, when you looking at what it means to be a part of the Harvest family and what we're building, what are, what are you trying to build in this moment? It's an important uh, question to ask. You see, Nehemiah here was rebuilding the walls. And the reason I ask that is we can be in a place where 
Well, if you look at Nehemiah, he was building something great and the enemy took notice. We might be in a place where we think, hey, you know, it's just comfortable, casual, it's okay, I can just passively just do what I'm doing, there's no great opposition. Are you doing something or building something that's worthy of notice? You see, we sometimes feel, well, if there's opposition to it, maybe we should pull back because um, obviously it's not meant to be that way. But you know, the F-18 Super Hornet fighter pilots would say this, they knew that they were on mission and on target when they were taking enemy fire because they were obviously in the right place. And there's something about knowing that in the midst of opposition, there's opportunity. Paul says this, a great and effective door of ministry has opened for me, so pray for me because there's much opposition. The opposition didn't mean there's no opportunity, didn't mean it's an obstacle, so pull back. It meant there is opportunity, that there's something about being a people that realize when you're building something that there's going to be opposition, but what you're building is going to be of significance and worth and generational legacy and blessing for all that follow. And so there's a fortitude in the midst of that. Winston Churchill says, you have enemies, good. That means you stood up for something sometime in your life. Don't you love that quote? Enjoy it. So what are we building? Chapter 2, verse 10, jumping back four chapters. It says this, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, this wall, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of, Is of the Israelites. I love this. They, it shows you the intent of their heart. They, were, they weren't disturbed that the Israelites were there. They weren't disturbed that they had come. They were disturbed that people were taking into consideration the welfare of the Israelites. That's why they were upset. Not that they arrived, it's what they'd come to do. And in the same way, we can, the enemy's not upset that we come to church. The enemy's not upset that you're sitting here this morning or that you're watching online. The enemy gets upset when he thinks you're going to do something with it that's going to be something of the welfare, the goodness, the kindness, the grace, the favor of God at work in your life and beyond you, as Rich prayed earlier, that starts to upset him and he starts to take notice because he's happy when we're sitting disengaged. But when we start to engage with the kingdom advancing, that starts to rattle the enemy's cage. And so we see him starting to pay attention. And we can say, but you know, George, I don't really know what it means to advance the kingdom. There's no wall to build like Nehemiah was building. What does that look like in my life and in, in my situation, in my circumstance? Well, I want to say this, that if you're building a godly marriage, you are advancing the kingdom. That if you're raising godly children, you are advancing the kingdom. That if you're stewarding your finances in a godly manner, you are advancing the kingdom. If you are growing in your relationship in and towards God and His heart for you, you are building the kingdom. You are advancing the kingdom of God. It's not just about starting some great NPO or nonprofit or anything like that. That's wonderful. Um, but it's about stepping out. If you're sharing just your faith, I'm not saying trying to evangelize everyone at work, but sharing what you believe in and what's changing in your life, then you're advancing the kingdom of God. And so the, the enemy wants to come and he wants to stall that and thwart that at any chance that he gets. So I want to pull out these seven truths, and we're going to see them in these verses one to nine. So verse one, when the word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, 
There's three different enemies that are named here that we saw earlier. You know what's interesting? When you look at the enemies, where they come from, it says that uh, they came from, uh, Sanballat came from Horonite, which was a part of Moab. It says that Tobiah was an Ammonite, which was on the east of the um, Jordan River, and Geshem was an Arab. The interesting thing with all three of these individuals that they have in common is none of them were from Jerusalem. None of them were people who had lived in the promised land. So the thing they all have in common is that they were getting upset about Nehemiah going into a territory that didn't belong to them. They had no responsibility. They had no authority in that place. But they were upset at what was happening in a land they didn't belong to. And so number one, the first point is this. The first way the enemy uh, applies his tactic, and we can put it on the screen, the enemy will cross your borders. The enemy will cross your borders. He has no authority and he has no right to do so, but he will cross your borders. He will visit where he doesn't belong. And so we need to know that even though he doesn't have authority, we have authority through the blood of Jesus, through the word of the testimony of our faith. It's not in and of ourselves. It's of Jesus and what he has done and accomplished and the empowering of his Holy Spirit at work in us and through us to do that which he has promised, that we have authority but as I mentioned, we can get passive. And let me say the enemy will cross borders and he'll visit where he doesn't belong and where he has no authority. He'll visit your marriage just to see what's going on. He'll visit your finances just to see what's happening in that space. He'll visit your mind and he'll try to plant thoughts there. Doesn't have authority, but he'll try and see what he can get away with. John 10.10 10 says this, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal means to take something that doesn't belong to you. That's, that's what he comes to do. So he's coming to take something that he has no rightful authority to do so. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. So what the devil does is he's coming to steal what Jesus has come to give in the full. And the enemy is trying to steal what Jesus has come to give. And so if you want to know this, what does the enemy try to steal? Look exactly what Jesus has given you. He's after that. He's after your joy. He's after your peace. He's after your uh, prosperity. He's after your um, patience and your purity. He's after your eternity with him. He's after all of those things. The enemy wants to take hold of that, to rob that, to steal that, even though he doesn't have authority and it doesn't belong to him. So let's go back to verse one. When the enemy came to Sambalat, Tobiah and Geshep the Arab and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates. The second point I wanna bring is this, if we can go to it. Thank you. The enemy will always look for a door. The enemy will always look for a door. Nehemiah's excited in this moment, and he's saying this, he's saying, there's no gaps in the wall. I've been hard at work, because a couple chapters earlier, you were seeing he was calling reinforcements, because there were gaps everywhere. I don't know if you've um, experienced what gaps can do in your home. My daughter Ambly, as I've mentioned, she's in the US. Before she headed off, um, I would get a call any time of night, woken up with a terrified person standing over my bed. Have you ever woken up to that before? Shaken, someone terrified, leaning over you. Dad, there's a cockroach in my room. I'm like, I'm not gonna be with you in the US. You're gonna have to learn how to handle this situation. But anyway, I'd go across and, and I'd look and I'd try to find it and I'd chase this thing and tear up beds and it would, it would run under, um, under the crack of the floorboard, you know? Just that tiny space would just fit through there. 
Eventually, I'd, I'd normally manage to kill it most of the time, otherwise she probably landed up in our room. But th the reality is this, I said, Ambly, stop eating cookies in your room. No, <laughs> that does draw them. But the problem is this, gaps. Gaps, that's the point I'm trying to get to. You've got to watch out for these gaps, and that's what he was doing. He was trying to cover all these gaps. He was so excited um, that the gaps were closed, but that he forgot that there was a door open. And the enemy goes around. It says in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. It doesn't say he comes and sees a wall and goes away. He prowls around. He's going around that per perimeter fence. He's looking to see if there's a gap. He's looking to see if there's a door that's been left open. And this prowls, this word in the Greek, it means to make due use of opportunities. I remember I said to you that an obstacle doesn't mean there isn't an opportunity in the kingdom. Unfortunately, it also means that for the enemy. Obstacles don't mean that he isn't looking for opportunities. And he's going to look to see if he can find a gap. So let me ask you a pertinent question. I'm not asking you to look in fear. I'm asking this, as I've said, to fortify. And I want to say to you, where could there be a possible gap in your life right now? I'm speaking to you strategically as one who clothes themselves in the armor of God to stand against all that the enemy might throw at you, where could there be a strategic gap right now? Let me, let me put it to you this way as you start to think. If your spouse is not loving you the way that you think you deserve to be loved, physically, emotionally, whatever it might be, there might be a gap in your wall. If your spouse isn't loving you the way you think you deserve to be loved, you might be creating a gap in the wall. Your children might be susceptible if when they get home, you think that, you know what, I'm a bit too tired to look over them. I'm just gonna put the iPad in their hands and send them to the room because you think you know what they're watching, but do you really know? I'm not, telling, I'm not saying this to doubt your children. I'm saying this because there's schemes, employees, and tactics of the enemy. There's a culture that's trying to indoctrinate them and trying to shift the idea of what truth is. There could be a gap. So the question is, oh, what gaps could there be? What doors have I, have I left open in my life that I need to know to shore up? What gaps are there in the way that I'm stewarding my finances and planning for my future and living as, a, as an outworking of the generosity of the Father's heart? Uh, what gaps are there in the midst of that? Verse two, Sambalit and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Come, let us meet together, the enemies to Nehemiah. Third, third thing is this. The enemy is continually sending messages. The enemy is continually sending you messages. Have you ever had that someone who somehow gets your, your cell phone number and they just, they just texting you? I got um, this weekend, somebody got hold of me, obviously another person in ministry, and they saw that I was a pastor, and they said, pastor, and they, and they probably messaged me four or five times, I don't know them, and, and I see that I've um, somehow managed to ignore all of the messages as they've gone through, and this message, this last one was, pastor, you are not sharing what I'm sending you, which will be helpful to advance the kingdom of God of my teachings. It could be true but it could also be that this person's trying to build his own ministry and platform and no one's really listening to him, so he's looking for others to find them to do so, and it could be because the message isn't sending people into freedom, possibly. I haven't listened. I'm not judging or I'm not saying that. But the enemy will continually send you messages that don't bring people into freedom, but take them into bondage. 
And so he continues to bombard you. Look at Eve. Here the enemy comes to her and says, surely God didn't mean that. Surely it didn't mean that you would die. And so there's the sense that the enemy comes and it's one of his ploys. Because here's the thing. The tactic of the enemy against Nehemiah was not to destroy him. It was to distract him. And if the enemy can keep sending you messages, not necessarily that destroy you, but distract you from what God is calling to you and his purposes in your life, and that which you should be engaging with that's of a great work that's going to rebuild and create legacy for generations, if he can distract you, then he can stop you from having the effect that you've called to have. So the enemy's primary purpose, as we see as we read that, is to hinder the advancement of the kingdom. The beautiful thing to know is this, the devil cannot destroy, as we're mentioning, the devil cannot destroy your marriage, but he can distract you in your marriage. The devil cannot directly destroy your children, but he can distract you in ways that kids can get into self-destructive patterns and habits when we're not present. The devil cannot directly destroy the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. But the devil can distract us from our purpose and our calling so that we are ineffective. The devil cannot destroy your calling or remove it, but he can distract you from being passionate to pursue it because you're pursuing anything and everything else that's surrounding you. And so he doesn't destroy you, he comes to distract you. And that's why we need to know the difference between the voice of the Holy Spirit and that of the enemy. Verse four, four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message and in his hand was an unsealed letter. The fourth thing that I wanna see, tactic of the enemy is this, the enemy is persistent. Sometimes we feel, no, I've, I've been able to resist them and rebuke the devourer, I'm good for a couple of months. But the enemy is persistent. He's going to keep pitching up. You need to be vigilant. You need to be sober and vigilant. That's what Peter said. We need to be aware. He's only got a couple of tricks in his playbook, and he's going to use them over and over. Nehemiah says, four times he sent me the same message. Same thing. Same struggle. Here's the, here's the issue. Some of us are caught in the same struggle, and it's the same tactic, same play of the enemy, and we fall into it over and over and over and over again, and we need to get wise to what the enemy is doing. He's not changing his approach. He's not changing his game plan. He's not changing his scheme. He's not changing his strategy. It's that same thing over and over and over, and I want to get very unpolitically correct. I've said that wrong. It doesn't matter because I'm not going for right in this moment. And I want to say, stop it. I just want to say, stop it. Don't try and uh, understand it and, and reason with it. I want to say, stop that thing. If it's robbing you, if it's killing you, if it's destroying you. Because we'll get in that moment where the enemy will come and tell you, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not handsome enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not clever enough, you're not wealthy enough, you're not influential enough. You're not, and he'll just keep coming at you. And we've got to get wise to what he's doing. You know, I love fishing and Patrick and I had a fishing expedition together and we were rigged up and ready for the waters of Stackfontaine Dam and we went there and we fished and we are good fishermen, you know why? Because a fisherman is persistent. I think it was two to three days, unfortunately, we didn't catch what we were going after, but we never lost hope. We had lots of great conversation, um, but we never lost hope. And you see, here's the thing about a good fisherman. They will go and they will catch nothing, and they'll catch nothing, and they'll use the same, the same rig that they've been using, but they say, you know, it didn't work at two, so I'm going to come back at seven. 
And if it didn't work at, uh, at that spot, we're going to try the next spot. And they'll keep throwing their lines. And the enemy might say this, you know, uh, she, she resisted last time, but she's a little worn down. She's a little frazzled. The kids have been at her case. And, you know, I'm going to get her to take that one glass of wine. And when she takes that one glass of wine, she will relax and the kids can go and they can do it. And he just, he just thinks this time I'll get. Might think with that businessman, you know, he resisted me last year, but it's been COVID and he's been worn down and business has been hard. And he didn't bite it. But let me, th- if I put that lure there this time, I'm going to get him. And he keeps casting out his line upon the lake of you and my opportunity to respond to what he's doing. He's persistent. He keeps coming. He keeps trying to to get us. The temptation's the same. He doesn't have a lot of different options. The only thing that's really changing is you and me and our willingness to take the bait. So verse 6, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true. You know, I just want to pick this up for a moment, because in the nations, there is such a question about truth. Truth's subjective. It's whatever you believe it to be. That's what the situation is currently. That's why this is quite a a significant statement for us. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true. (laughs) I I love that sand, but it says like, and Geshem says it's true. Well, who's Geshem? Who's this guy? Why should I be listening to him? Is Geshem God? But he throws that in because it seems like if you can take something that is subjective truth and add another subjective truth to it, suddenly it's official. And Geshem says it's true. He's trying to use this false narrative to scare Nehemiah. That you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the war. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become his king. So what is he doing? He's telling lies. The fifth point is this, the fifth tactic. The enemy is a deceiver. John 8 verse 44 says this. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there was no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's amazing. It's his native language. That means when he speaks his native language, every word coming out is a lie. Every word. That's his native language. Ours might be English or Afrikaans or Zulu. His is lying. And so he, and Nehemiah recognizes this because what the enemy is trying to do is he's trying to drive Nehemiah to a place of fear that'll cause him to react and let go and stop building what he's called to build and the advancement of the kingdom. And he says this, it's reported among the nations. The rumor is out. CNN has said it. Trevor Noah has jumped onto it with the Daily Show. Ellen DeGeneres is telling you, be kind and, and stop building this wall. And whatever else, you see, the enemy will use, and I'm not meaning those people are being used of the enemy, but the enemy will use any avenue to get his news out, to get his report out, to get his opinion out, to bring a stall and a stop to what God is wanting to do. And here's the thing, even Eve said this, when she was asked, when the Lord said, what happened? She said, the serpent deceived me, and that's why I ate. He wants to deceive, he wants to lure you in and trick you. The Webster Dictionary says, deceive means this, to cause to accept as true or valid what is actually false or invalid. To cause to accept as true or valid what is actually false or invalid. In the Hebrew, it's the word nasha, and it means to lead astray, to delude, and to seduce. So if you look at 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14, it says the enemy does this. He comes and he masquerades. He parades. He comes to trick us by coming as an angel of light. 
And that's why it's so important that we know the voice of the Lord. It's so important that we know the Scriptures because it's the truth that sets us into freedom and helps us to discern that which carries the life of God and that which is the attack of the enemy. We have to get into the Word. Verse 6, Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now, this is his ultimate throw at Nehemiah, because if you remember, Nehemiah was a, a cupbearer for the king before this moment. And so what he comes and says this, he says, if you keep building, the report will come back to the king that you're trying to usurp him, that you're trying to take his place. So, come and meet with us. Number six, here's the tactic. The enemy's primary weapon is fear. He's a deceiver, and he's going to try and cause you through fear to move and to dance according to his drumbeat. That's what's happening here. He comes to strike us with fear to get us to do what he wants us to do. And there's two things about fear that we see here. The first is this. Fear makes you stop the work. You become fearful. You become too anxious to take the next step. So you pull back and you stall. It makes you stop the work. It makes you stop raising your kids in a godly way. It makes you stop building and working on your marriage to see it flourish. It makes you stop pressing ahead in your relationship with the Lord. Fear stalls you. And here's the thing. In order for you to engage with fear, you have to disengage with advancing the kingdom of God. Can I say that? Is fear trying to take a grip on you right now? If you engage with fear, you are disengaging with advancing the kingdom of God. So you need to do a, an assessment and say, where's there fear in my life? And where does faith need to be activated? That's the first thing about fear. The second thing is this. And here, here's the, the strategy deluxe of the enemy. Fear drives us to consult with the devil. Fear drives us to... If you continue to build, then the king will hear that you're trying to be king. But don't worry, come and meet with us. And if you meet with us, we'll talk about it, we'll sort it out, we'll make sure that none of this happens. So the enemy brings fear so that you will come and consult with him and you'll stop walking, listening to God. So when you look at Adam and Eve in the, in the garden, the Lord called out to, to the man, where are you? And Adam responds, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And the Lord says, who told you you were afraid? You see, he, what had happened? The enemy brought fear, which caused them to come and consult with the enemy. The enemy said, you're naked. Suddenly, he's estranged from the relationship of walking with the Lord. See, fear will cause us to consult with the enemy. King James Version says, come, let us counsel together. Verse 8, last one. And I sent him this reply. I love this. Nehemiah says, the tactics have come, but because he knew the playbook, because he is able to process the attack of the enemy in light of the character and the nature and the promise of God, he was able to respond like verse 8 says. I sent him this reply, Nehemiah to Sanballat, nothing like what you're saying is happening, you're just making it up in your head. He said, you're deluded, and your lack of truth, invalid truth, and trying to um, press on me what you believe to be truth is not going to affect me. None of it is true. It's all in your head. And you can almost picture Nehemiah stepping back, and these messages keep coming, and Nehemiah is processing this. You know, if I go down, if I allow fear to come, 
If I stop consulting with the enemy, then I'm not gonna be able to finish this great work that I'm building, that's building for my generations and legacy. And if I do that, the door is not even up. It's gonna be susceptible to the enemy to come and thwart that which God is wanting to do. It's gonna halt the advance of God's kingdom. Should I walk away from this good work to go and consult with them? No, I'm not gonna do it. Nothing you say is true. It's all in your head. I'm gonna continue to build. I love his response in the midst of this. And how do you do that? You see, you have to have the truth because the enemy is gonna come with a lie. The seventh point is this, that your enemy has no reply to the truth. Your enemy cannot argue with truth. He tries to bring you invalid truth, but when he tries to bring you things that might be true, but they're not truth. You see, what's true can take you into bondage, but Jesus says, I am the way, the life, and the truth. The, The truth brings you into the way of life, which is Christ. And so truth sets you into freedom. And so when you bring the truth to the accusation, it quietens. You know, there's only an argument when you start to get a message and you start to respond and argue to see who's right. But there's no argument when the truth is found, when the fact is established. And so in the midst of the enemy coming, this is what's happening. God's truth demolishes every stronghold. 2 Corinthians 10 verse four. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What's a stronghold? It's any lie that the enemy brings to you that you choose to receive. Any lie that the enemy brings to you that you choose to receive can become a stronghold. And we demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive. It means we make it captive. It's this thing of arrest. This thought comes to us, we grab it, we turn it around, we take its hands, we handcuff it, we march it off, we say you cannot be here and we lock it up, we take it captive. So as these thoughts come, we don't allow them to take us captive and we demolish every argument with the truth of Christ. Sorry, I'm getting loud, I apologize. Uh, But we bring the truth and the truth sets into freedom. Verse nine, they were all trying to frighten us thinking. Here's the outworking, verse nine. This was the outworking of the ploy and the tactic. They were all trying to frighten us thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But now I prayed, now strengthen my hands. You see, the enemy thinks, no, no, you're gonna get frightened, you're gonna get weakened. But my response, out of a position of being fortified and not in fear, is to start to pray, Lord, strengthen me even more for the task that you've called me to. And so that's Nehemiah's concluding thought, and I love that response that he brings, and I wanna say to you, I wanna declare this truth over you, that you are strong enough, that you are strong enough in building your marriage, you are strong enough in building your family, you are strong enough in stewarding your finances, you are strong enough in walking out of that temptation and into the life that he has for you. You know why? Because he is with you, he is for you, he is more than able, and his truth, if you'll allow to work in your life, will set you into freedom. And that's why in Psalm 18, verse 32, it says, God's arms... um, God arms me with strength and he makes my way perfect. He trains my hands for battle and he strengthens my hand to draw a bow of bronze. I wanna say you are strong enough because he's strong enough and you have strength in your hand because of his might at work in you. Amen. I wanna pray for you. I've gone long, but I really felt that we, we're in a rebuilding moment and I wanted to fortify us for the advancement of what God is doing. So Lord, I just thank you for everyone here. I thank you even as we, as we take this moment just to pray, I thank you, Lord, that I speak your blessing. 
I speak favor and I speak grace. I speak truth that sets people into freedom. I thank you, Lord, that there will be advancing that takes place, that this word isn't just to listen to and pick up points, but it's to become the, the, the point of advancement for the kingdom of God in marriages, in finances, in um, callings, in vocations, in, in family relationships, in every area. I pray, Lord, that cycles will be broken and, Lord, patterns of redemptive purpose and favor will be outworked in people's lives. So I declare blessing, blessing, blessing in the mighty name of Jesus. Together we say amen. So be it.